Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. I'm John Moorhead, and I'm privileged to have today someone whose work I've followed uh, for a good while and continue to enjoy, and that is Daniel S. Wise. And I'm going to read his little bio that he's got uh, out there that I picked up. Daniel, if there's anything you want to add to that, feel free. Uh, okay. Daniel is an independent researcher with a PhD in religious studies from the University of Virginia, whose research focuses on paranormal belief and other aspects of the evolving contemporary American religious landscape. Daniel, do you want to add anything to that, or is that good? Um, yeah, that's fine. I mean, my, my dissertation was on ghost hunting in America, and um, the way I got away with that, I, you would say, in a, in a religious <laughs> studies department, is I uh, made it about, um, you know, what is what does enchantment look like in late modernity? And my I feel like to really understand that, you need a good example. And so my example was, you know, 21st century ghost hunting. Like, if we examine this phenomenon we can understand what, what it looks like to have an enchanted worldview in late modernity. Yeah, uh, we'll be talking and unpacking some of that. Uh, the title for that dissertation, 21st Century American Ghost Hunting, A Late Modern Enchantment. Thank you for making that available to me. I appreciate it. Um, you can find Daniel's contact information in, in the program notes. Um, I do have uh, Twitter information at Daniel S. Wise. Do you have a website or that I'm uh, yeah, DanielSWise.com. Okay, I'll include uh, mention of that as well. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we explore the paranormal in the context of uh, religious studies uh, from time to time, and we'll, this will be a, a, an exciting and interesting addition to that collection. But I always like to try and start on a personal note. How did you develop a personal interest, if not passion, and then later translate that into an academic interest in the paranormal? Yeah, well, you know, as a kid, I think I always thought the paranormal was cool, you know, <laughs> um, like a lot of kids. And like, you know, in fact, yeah, I mean, I think the data shows many, many kids, you know, pick it up from the media in whatever way. Um, I, I was when I, I went I most of my childhood was before the ghost hunting show started airing. So I didn't watch much of those as a younger child. I was a teenager when those started airing. But um so I was kind of interested in it in that way. Um, I remember in the fourth grade, my school took a field trip. I grew up in Florida and uh, my school took a field trip to St. Augustine, which is um, the oldest continuously occupied European settlement in the United States. And um, it was settled by the Spanish in the 16th century. And uh, one of the big things they do there are ghost tours. Um, so I remember going there in the fourth grade, my Dad thought it was a really cool place. So him, he stayed, him and my mom stayed with me over the weekend after everyone else went back home. And um, we went on some ghost tours and I was really fascinated by that. And um, eventually um, my dad actually got into, he, he became involved in ghost hunting. Um, my dad is a Lutheran pastor, so it's not like, um, you know, normal practice for someone like yeah. him, but um, <laughs> he was uh, really interested in the paranormal. He had had some experiences when he was younger. Um, he was interested in some photographs he had taken 
and um, he got in contact with a team in Florida based out of Miami. And then the uh, leader of that ghost hunting team, this is actually the first ghost hunter I ever interviewed. I found him through my dad. Um, he uh, convinced my dad to come on to go to cases where he thought he needed a clergy. So that would be cases where, you know, often where something a little bit evil maybe is going on. And, you know, my dad would, I, you know, I guess like basically cobble together, like, you know, take the house blessing ritual that Lutherans use and like tweak it a little bit for, you know, to get rid of nasty spirits or whatever. So it was definitely a family affair. And um, yeah, I, I remember first thinking about ghost hunting as just like a really interesting case of religious creativity. You know, they like, there's no like official religious teachings on ghosts most of the time. So they're cobbling together all these different sources, all these different religious sources, and also like pop psychology and coming up with ideas about spirits and ideas of how to deal with spirits. So I thought that was really interesting and would be just like a great topic for a religious studies lens. So it was kind of just a natural progression for you from the personal to the academic? Yeah, I mean, when I first went into academia, I actually did antiquity. I um, was in like biblical studies. I took lots of Hebrew, lots of Greek, you know, a little bit of Aramaic, um, did, you know, was doing well, a lot of Second Temple Judaism, early Christianity stuff. But I realized the stuff I'm really interested in, you can't really do with antiquity because we don't have the sources, like just like, um, you know, vernacular religion, basically. And um I was going to do intermediary figures like angels and demons in antiquity. And that kind of easily moved into spirits in contemporary America. So, yeah. Now you mentioned uh, just one more little follow-up on the personal interest. You mentioned uh, media that might've influenced you. I'd be interested in knowing what kind of media I'm from. A, I'm a bit older. I, I grew up in the seventies and we had, these pseudo documentaries and documentaries, and they were hosted by Rod Serling on UFOs and psychic phenomenon. We had In Search Of hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was the constant television diet that I saw that helped develop my interest as a kid that continued on. What kinds of media fueled your interest? You know, I have a, actually have kind of a hard time remembering. Um, we were kind of, my family was kind of into any kind of like supernatural or paranormal show. Like I remember watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Charmed. And um, they, they also, there were also those, those, still those like specials you're talking about. I, I read a lot of books and um, there were a lot of books on, on topics like ghosts and the paranormal. And I remember sitting in the back of someone's SUV and, um, when I was like spending the night at their house and we had to go somewhere at night and I was just like pouring over this book they had about anomalous phenomena, you know? So it was actually um, a lot of books. Okay. Um, like um, one in particular, I still own it by Brad Steiger. I don't remember the okay. title, but um, yeah, there's a Brad Steiger book about like ghost encounters and weird things. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember reading that and thinking it was super cool. And then buying it as an adult. And I even cite it in my, um, do I? I might cite it in my dissertation. I'm not sure. But just as an example of like, um, you know, I compare stuff Brad Steiger says to stuff that um, was pioneered by Frederick Myers um, in the days of the Society for Psychical Research. And I show how like stuff that Myers discovered or pioneered still exists in popular culture today. 
Yeah, it's fascinating how the stuff that we look at when we're young. I remember looking, collecting. I would go to uh, flea markets and garage sales, and they would sell. People would get rid of their paperback books, and I would pick up stuff by Hans Holzer on ghosts. Yeah, and, and you know, you name it. And the time, I remember a Time Life book series on mysterious phenomenon, and uh, that kind of stuff just fascinated me. So it's interesting to just hear those influences. So you you have this personal interest. It becomes an academic interest. Um, your dissertation is on ghost hunting. What what background and theoretical lenses did you bring to that research project? Um, I mean, actually, so I've mainly been trained by historians, honestly. Um, you know, just been I, I, I you know, I, I took like a class in ethnography and, you know, I as an American religion being trained in American religion, I read various ethnographies, you know, like um, Courtney Bender's The New Metaphysicals, um, Marie Griffith's God's Daughter. So I, I had, you know, I had read other people do this. So it was a little bit of a, of a leap, but I guess I, I basically just like treated, I, I don't know, I guess I just had the, the impulse to act like an historian using, you know, more recent sources. My original project was going to be just going through ghost hunting media as if like, like someone studying the 19th century would go through 19th century documents and just like coming to conclusions that way. But then I realized it was just so much easier just to ask my questions to ghost hunters directly. So I kind of developed that. So I guess like, you know, just like ethnography of religious studies is, is some method. Um, just the, I guess just the way of like the ways you would look through. Well, I guess I should say a lot of the theory I used came from the study of new religious movements and metaphysical religion. Okay. Um, so for instance, in my science chapter, I have a section where I talk about, you know, insights that certain scholars have had um, into, um, you know, people like um, Honograph and stuff like that, like the, the insights they have into um, scientific metaphysical religion. And I talk about how those apply to ghost hunting as well. Those, those have kind of provided the background because there isn't much written on ghost hunters. There right. is a book out now by um, Mark Eaton, but that didn't come out till after my dissertation was pretty much completed. Um, so I basically had to rely on, you know, the stuff people did analyzing metaphysical religion, new religious movements, that type of thing. Okay. And then um, I also have a chapter where I rely on Rudolf Otto, which is kind of like, you know, very, you know, maybe... My, my advisor was like, can you also use something a little newer? Because, um, you know, he's like <laughs> early 20th century. But I really thought that his concept of, uh, you know, how people experience the numinous kind of applied to how ghost hunters experience demons, just like the terror. But it's actually ends up being like a divine experience, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, auto is a go-to for Pete's sake. I mean, especially in monster theory, you see that all the time. Right. So it's kind of interesting how contemporary folks want expect you. Of course, you want your research to be contemporary and current, and that kind of thing, and speak to modern readers. But just because something was written a few uh, decades ago doesn't mean that it's still not significant. So, well, I think it, one of the problems too is that auto has taken a beating by like the Russell yeah. McCutcheon School of Religious Studies. You know, the idea that you know it's it's foolish for religious studies scholars to think Otto is a real scholar because he's like so steeped in theology and, right. you know, this idea that he kind of sees religion as uh, sweet generous, you know, like um, not something that 
is constructed by social forces. But, um, you know, ever since then, um, since then you've had monster theorists pick them up now. And mm -hmm. also, um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to think of a name that's a really well-known name that for some reason is slipping my mind. Um, it's all right. Um, Robert Orsi, Robert Orsi okay. has recently has, I guess, fairly recently defended Otto as a, as a useful scholar. So, um, yeah, I kind of understand like why you'd be wary of someone just going for Otto and not doing anything more recent, but I did, of course, you know, end up putting in a little bit of monster, more recent monster theory, which itself was also based on Otto actually. So, right. <laughs> Well, just out of curiosity, I, I've noticed, I'm sure you have too, a lot of the treatments of the paranormal, you tend to come into this, these two camps, either what I call the true believer, uh, where they're arguing for the validity of a given phenomenon or the skeptic and the debunking approach. Personally, I'm not interested in either one of those. I'm more interested in what does the, the continued fascination of large numbers of people in American culture who believe in one or more, you know, paranormal phenomena. What does that tell us about our contemporary religious and spiritual quest? Do you fall on either side of that, or are you sympathetic to my perspective, or where, where are you coming from in your research? Um, I, th I think I'm sympathetic to your perspective. Like, um, it's not like I'm not interested in whether ghosts exist, but like, I don't. That's not my expertise. I can't contribute there. You know. Um, so I, I, I take like what I would call an agnostic position in my research. And, and I kind of do that intentionally where I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to say whether or not ghosts exist. That's not my concern. My concern is how, you know, social forces come in to the quest for, you know, discovering ghosts. <clears throat> so I basically talk about, I think I mentioned that in my dissertation where I'm just like, you know, I, I'm not. The point isn't whether ghosts exist or not. And I tell that to the ghost hunters I interview as well. Like, I'm not trying to prove ghosts or disprove ghosts exist. I just want to understand the human aspects of ghost hunting. Right. And I want to understand, um, yeah, sort of like what you said, you know, what, what does it say about our culture that this is such a fascination and that type of thing? Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me that you chose this as a dissertation topic, that you were bold enough to do that in religious studies. <laughs> And that you got it approved. It was interesting. I, I have been slowly watching some of the videos of the recent conference on the impossible and the paranormal at Rice University. And in one of the panel discussions, they mentioned uh, some of the, the presenters that they were interested in doing this in their PhD work, but they were always steered away from it mm. um, because it, it was, at least at that time, it was still very controversial. Did you face any challenges at the university in getting your topic approved? Did you have to make any modifications? Yeah. Um, so I think I had this idea. Like I said, I started my PhD program studying antiquity. Um, right. But then I came to a crisis where I was like, I'm not, I don't feel satisfied. I'm under so much pressure. And I thought about leaving grad school. So I basically had nothing to lose. I was like planning to just quit my PhD program. But then like I got the idea after talking to one of my, you know, trusted advisors from undergrad, my master's program, he was like, well, what are you really interested in? And he was like, well, why don't you try that? And um, so I kind of weaseled my way into American religion because like I was already a funded PhD, all, all the, the religion, American religion people had to do was say yes to take, you know, cause I had my line of funding already. So um, my advisor, Matt Hedstrom was kind of just like, you know, why not, you know, let's take a chance on it. 
And I didn't originally come in saying I was going to study the paranormal, even though that was kind of an idea. Uh, I, I thought about maybe studying evangelicalism. I thought about maybe um, when I started thinking about the paranormal stuff, like um, at first, you know, people kind of steered me to like, maybe I should do psychical research, you know, something on psychical research in the 19th and early 20th century. That's a little more respectable. And that's like history of some people far away. Right. And, um, you know, and also it makes sense for my advisor to, to say that because my advisor's, my advisor's advisor was a William James scholar. So like getting into psychical research, you can get into William James a little bit, you know, study the trajectories of 20th century American liberal religion. Um, and then I just very slowly, like ended up just like slowly moving it up and like, um, you know, and then, like I said, originally it was going to be like, I'm looking at ghost hunters books and, you know, podcasts and stuff like that and studying it that way. And then eventually I was just like, I'm going to interview ghost hunters, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah. he, you know, my advisor was very, you know, he, he kind of, he understood my vision, especially when I framed it in terms of enchantment and also, um, you know, he, 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 his book is on liberal religion in the 20th century, uh, especially as it's displayed in reading groups and, and like book culture. Um, but he teaches a class on called spiritual, but not religious on American spirituality. And, um, you know, he, go, he talks about spiritualism in that class and that type of thing. So he kind of understood why it would be significant. Um, you know, there are definitely people in my department who would not have accepted a dissertation like this. It was just that my advisor was open to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one thing when you're you're planning your dissertation and your research and all that. And then when you get into it, uh, you can take on, you know, contours and directions that you never thought. What were some aha moments you had during your research mm. and writing of the dissertation? What sticks out for you? Oh, let me think here. Um, <laughs> I, so, you know, if there's any graduate students watching this, like, if you ever feel like you're not going to finish your dissertation, like, I felt that way. Like, I really, there were years where I seriously thought I'm just killing time right now until while I still have funding, I'm not going to finish this. You know, I had some mental health problems and I just had felt directionless and motivationless. And I was like, you know, I was like, I'm honestly not, there's no way I'm completing a book length research project. Um, but eventually I just started writing, you know, like I remember like taking the long, I, I started with the scientism chapter, scientism and ghost hunting. And I, I wrote it while teaching media studies. And then I sent it to Hedstrom, my advisor. And he was like, Mm, let's he, he like in the nicest way possible was like this is a mess like he never said anything like that but he like was like he talked about specific points where like they where I wasn't like you know nailing I, I wasn't focusing in enough and I was being just like making broad sweeps um and and then eventually this actually was like kind of during the pandemic um during the pandemic I just like I had, I don't know if I had nothing else to do or if it was just like something about the, the world being shut down. And I just was in my internal world. I just started writing. And then I sent off the chapter to my advisor and he was like, this looks like a chapter. And I was like, you know, I got more and more motivated and I was just kind of shocked. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the moments that where things change is when I decided to actually interview ghost hunters. Um, I, I was like, there's no way I'm going to do an ethnography project. No way I'm going to do that. That's too much trouble. And then I just started doing it. Um, 
I'm trying to think were, of were they open to to that type of interaction? Was there any defensiveness or skepticism, or did they welcome this academic? I have had a surprise. Like I, the people I found easiest to work with ethnography wise are ghost hunters. Hmm. They want to tell you about what's going on. They uh, a lot of them that they they love to talk. You know, they just want to tell you about their world and what they've discovered and what's going on. Also, I think they like the idea of like, I, I'm like an academic asking to hear from them. So I think a lot of them feel like they're getting legitimacy by speaking to me. Um, but um, yeah, so I found them a lot of ghost hunters really willing to talk. Um, I've also tried to talk to people who are Halloween enthusiasts and maybe the fact that that's such a weird thing, like what you're studying me because I like Halloween, but like they don't know what I'm. <laughs> And they're like, please do not message me, you know, <laughs> and like, yeah, um, yeah. I've tried working with like um, neo-pagan witchy communities and I've like come up with some trouble where like, um, because, you know, they, they feel like they're already judged and oppressed by the greater, right. wider religious culture. And I'm just like some like, you know, guy with like an academic gauge trying to come in and, you know, deconstruct or whatever. So I've had some trouble with that. But basically the, of the communities I've tried, um, working with ghost hunters have been the easiest to work with well if you ever want to continue that research along in the halloween community or neo-pagan i've got a foot in both of those worlds so let me know yeah areas um, of fascination uh when you did your, your ethnography and your interviews were you able to discern any kind of what varied uh, spiritualities or or religious influences or background do they bring to ghost hunters yeah, I found that most ghost hunters, like most Americans, had a Christian background, and but they gen most ghost hunters did not adhere to it anymore. They were more they moved more into like the non the non affiliated spiritual but not religious like that type of zone. Most of the ghost hunters I spoke to, I, I you know I did have I have come across atheist ghost hunters, which is interesting because it's they're generally atheists but not materialists i've come across people who are still religious like you know this couple that still goes to their baptist church every sunday even though they've gotten a little bit of pushback for their interest in the paranormal but most of them were like you know oh i was raised methodist but you know for this or that reason like generally the reasons of everyone who leaves church i left church and now this is how i understand the divine you know i know there's a god because of what i've discovered investigating i know there's a spirit world and i'm comforted by what i've discovered um and this kind of fits with like our you know we the evidence shows that those who go to church weekly and those who never go to church who are atheists those two groups are the least likely to hold paranormal beliefs and by paranormal beliefs i mean those beliefs that are duly rejected by mainstream science and traditional religion like ufos bigfoot ghost psychics um but those people who go to church like maybe like a once a month you know the people in that range the middle range are the most likely to hold paranormal beliefs and um you know sociologists have theorized this is because they're open to the supernatural but not so committed to one traditional religious vision that their beliefs are outlawed by their belief system um yeah that, that makes sense did, did you discover did they reveal any kind of uh, explanatory hypothesis they may have? Were they just interested in trying to experience the phenomenon or do they try and bring some of this is what it is, deceased personalities or, or what have you? 
Um, could you rephrase that? Yeah. Yeah. When you interviewed the ghost hunters, did they, did you get a sense that there are, are certain ways in which they're trying to explain the phenomena, what ghosts are? Yes. Yeah, sometimes they are. I mean, honestly, a lot of investigation is just getting evidence of life after death. Just like, you know, I asked a question, I get an EVP, an electronic voice phenomenon, you know, that, that sounds like an answer um, when there was no one there, that's evidence of the afterlife. And that's what they're after. Like, the, and it's a thrilling to come up with this evidence. And they also mm-hmm. want to discover, you know, who caused the haunting, like what kind of person is haunting it? Why are they haunting it? How many spirits are there? Um, but um, a smaller subset of investigations are trying to discover things about the spirit world. Uh, where they ask questions about the afterlife, though a lot of ghost hunters will tell you that's fraught and people, ghost spirits don't want to talk about it and that type of thing. Um, so and so there is a little bit of like theorizing and actually investigating to discover those, you know, those secrets. You'll, you'll have people, I don't know, I actually, I guess there's less theorizing than you would expect. Okay. Like I think they have an opinion about the afterlife but um, they're not they're not really testing hypotheses through investigation a lot of the time uh, about the afterlife. Um, there's just all kinds of ideas about the afterlife that um, a lot of them reflect popular culture. You know, like um, people can go to the lights. Maybe, you know, a lot of ghost hunters, you know, maybe maybe there's heaven. Fewer people believe in hell. You go to the light and some people are stuck in between because they didn't want to leave or they had unfinished business or that type of thing, or somehow they didn't know they could go on to the light, um, this type of thing. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit yeah, here. Yeah, but, that's um, an area that I think would be very interesting for, you know, in-depth analysis on its own. Uh, what is informing, what are the resources they're drawing from? Uh, whether it's elements of some kind of residual Christianity, generic afterlife beliefs, horror films, you know, yeah. this kind of thing. Uh, so. I mean, they're drawing on all those things for sure. I, I right. talk a little bit about that. I talk about like how there's a general like vernacular Christianity that forms like the basis of most ghost hunters belief where like, like there is a God, there's a soul that can be separate from the body. There is an afterlife that you can go to. And staying behind is an intermediate phase. I would call that like vernacular Christianity. It draws from Christianity, but it's, you know, kind of like a popular version with some distinctives taken away. And then you'll have people who hold like the spiritualist idea where like spirits, the afterlife looks like spirits constantly ascending higher and higher. And the spirits that are left behind for us to experience often need to are the ones who need to ascend in knowledge and goodness and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I think those are like kind of the main sources for afterlife belief. Um, I, I, I haven't heard very many ghost hunters talk about reincarnation, actually. Hmm. I'm sure some do, but, um, I haven't heard anyone tell me these ghosts are here in between reincarnations. I haven't really heard very many people tell me that. Uh, Um, And it's definitely that what we used to call the new age movement might provide some, yeah. Some kind of pop culture resources. My wife was watching a, a program uh, over the weekend uh, and this family, they were trying to help this family with a hoarding problem and they couldn't move further because they thought the place was haunted. 
So they called a gentleman in who burned sage and tried to capture a spirit in a gourd. And it just reminded me of kind of a, a new age kind of twist on his particular view of haunting and that kind of thing. Yeah, they're definitely new age spirituality. I guess what, what, I, what I would call metaphysical religion yeah. plays a huge role, um, you know, where especially with like cleansing. But even even like metaphysical religion has ideas about like moving into the light. Right. And like you want to visualize light or you want to visualize the movement of energy, that type of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, also in your uh, dissertation, um, you talk about how ghost hunting and the paranormal uh, serves as a form of enchantment. Can you unpack that for just say a little bit about disenchantment as it relates to enchantment for viewers and listeners who may not be familiar with this and how do you see ghost hunting fitting into that? Yeah. So this whole dialogue, so some, a lot of times when I talk to people who, you know, aren't in the academic study of religion or, you know, aren't, aren't in, in, into the academic study of modernity, they don't know what I mean by enchantment. Um, so basically this whole discussion of enchantment is you can kind of trace it back to Max Weber in the early 20th century and um, he, was a, he was a sociologist. He was a pioneering sociologist. He helped establish the field. And he was, he was definitely a theorist of modernity. And he argued that um, enchantment, he argued that disenchantment would advance in Western societies um, as modernity was advancing. So science um bureaucratization rationalization all of these things would lead to less and less enchantment and by that he meant there would be less recourse to magic and the supernatural and that type of thing and mysterious forces because because as modernity advances more and more things become in principle calculable by rational means so for instance like you know uh he uses the example of a streetcar you know a man riding a streetcar in the early 20th century, he doesn't necessarily understand how the streetcar works, but in principle, he could understand it because it could all be calculable. And he doesn't have to say that this, these forces are magical or anything like that. Um, so for a while, this was like, you know, the theory to refer to. As we move into the 20th century, scholars assume that the West is becoming less enchanted and will become disenchanted. And this sort of thing, you know, you have this talk of the death of God in like the 1960s and that sort of thing. You know, the assumption being that modernity is advancing and God will die. Right. Uh, in, in, in pop in people's belief, at least. And um, but then what was interesting is like um, people started pushing back against this narrative because by the time you get to like the 1980s, like maybe 1970s, but especially into the 1980s, you have the rise of the religious right. You have new age spirituality flourishing and people start saying, Hmm, it looks like, you know, I, it, you know, traditional and also traditional rel religious affiliation, you know, didn't really start declining in any way. It depends on who you ask, whether it was declining or not, but it didn't start declining in any way until, you know, like the late seventies or something like that. So, um, so people start wondering, you know, maybe disenchantment isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe the theory isn't exactly what we think. Um, and um, now we're getting to the point where scholars 
would say that enchantment is booming. There's like a new consensus that enchantment is booming. So maybe it's true that traditional religious affiliation is declining, but the number of atheists and agnostics has remained stagnant over, for example, the past seven years, while the the, uh, the religiously unaffiliated has grown. So the idea is that um, people have enchanted beliefs, beliefs in mystery, magic, you know, the supernatural. Um, and um, now we just look at the ways in which modernity has changed that enchantment. So enchantment in the late 19th century would look like, you know, going to church every Sunday for a lot of people. Enchantment in the in the early 21st century for a lot of people looks like ghost hunting or, you know, working with crystals or doing meditation and yoga or mindfulness and that type of thing. So um, so just to, to, to like summarize, Starting with Max Weber, we believe that there would be less and less enchantment as modernity advanced in the West um, toward the late 20th century into the 21st century. A new consensus arise that enchantment would persist. It would just change with modernity. It would just look different. And, and so I was trying to study what enchantment looked like in late modernity because we knew it would be different. And I used ghost hunting as an example of what this new enchantment looks like. You're muted, I think. Um, you're muted. Let's try that. There we go. There you go. Um, thanks for the reminder. Uh, I'm trying to keep the animal noises down on this end. Um, th that's very helpful as background there. One of the chapters in your dissertation that was especially intriguing to me was on ghost hunter spirituality. So mm. how, do you, how would you see ghost hunting functioning as a form of re-enchantment and, and as a spirituality for at least some of them. Yeah. So um, I would say ghost hunting itself is a spiritual practice overall um, because it's about, um, well, you could say it's spiritual in several ways. Like it deals with the supernatural. You, if you're defined, you could define spirituality in a certain way where it's whatever deals with the supernatural and ghost hunting deals with the supernatural. It also um, gets toward the big questions in life. Like, what happens when we die, you know, is, you know, what kinds of forces are at work in the universe? Is there a greater order to things? Um, and a lot of people who ghost hunt aren't satisfied receiving the answers to those questions from traditional religion. Like I heard a guy told me once, like, well, you're telling me, you know, all this stuff from old books, but I've experienced things myself when I ghost hunt. Right. So the idea is that they're there. It's a really empirical spirituality. Like a lot of people have like in late modernity, a lot of people have an empirical spirituality. They want to experience things themselves. They want to have a religious experience of their own, not just rely on the religious experiences recorded in you know ancient texts. So um, in this way, ghost hunters, you know, experience spiritual realities for themselves when they interact with when they believe they interact with spirits. Um, also, what's interesting spirituality wise is just how eclectic ghost hunter spirituality is like the, the sources they draw on to define what a spirit is and, and especially in their rituals to remove spirits are it's just fascinating what they combine. There's like Native American spirituality with the burning of sage, which itself has become controversial because that some people argue that's cultural right. appropriation. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's those they're trying to navigate that in the ghost hunting community. There's um use of metaphysical or new age religion where you use crystals to direct energy and move spirits. I've talked to several people who use Reiki directing energy with their hands when they're cleansing a house from spirits. Um, 
Catholic, like sort of like pop popular Catholic demonology is super influential mm-hmm. in ghost hunting circles. What the stuff that came from Ed and Lorraine Warren, right? You know, there's like a there's like so there's the Catholic influence. There's a parapsychology influence where people talk about you know what causes poltergeist is it is poltergeist really telekinesis so there's a parapsychology drawing on there's like pop psychology um where like people have these ideas about you know meditation and and also like um ideas about how the mind works and how and you can apply that to spirits um yeah i mean all kinds of stuff they draw and then you get little snippets of other things like you know for a while there was the popularity of dibuk boxes the idea that there was a like a jewish spirit you know in a box and then some people talk about jinns which is a, a muslim spirit um yeah it's just like you know basically it, it it and it mirrors what i argue in my dissertation is this mirrors the contemporary religious landscape people build their spiritualities like a patchwork quilt whatever appeals to them or seems reasonable to them they draw on and so this is how they build ghost belief. They draw on whatever is, you know, whatever seems interesting or whatever they feel like works. They'll draw on that and to form the picture of ghosts and how they should be treated. Yeah. One uh, final question for you here, unless I, I've missed something here, I'll give you an opportunity to say the thing, answer the question I didn't ask. You've got several articles. I'll put a link in the program notes at religion dispatches. Mm-hmm. where you uh, have tackled uh, various contemporary phenomenon and you make the argument or the argument comes through whether you're trying to make it in a given article or not that the par- the the popularity of certain paranormal phenomenon uh, are is telling us something significant about contemporary America and its spiritual landscape what would you say to the average individual and also the uh, scholar who is fairly dismissive of the paranormal about why this is something significant, regardless of your bias, if you think it's bunk or, or there are gullible people, whatever, why is it something we should be taking a look at and pay attention to? Well, I would say the paranormal is normal. Just statistically, most people in the United States have a paranormal belief. And uh, the, the percentage of people goes from like 52% to 60 something percent depending on what you ask about in the survey. Um, so it's just a normal thing. So like if it's in, if it's insane or crazy, then you're trying, you have to be saying the majority of Americans are crazy, which I know some, you know, some like skeptics and science advocates would want to say that, but I wouldn't want to say that. Um, and um, the fact is, you know, as traditional religious affiliation declines, we're going to see greater and greater paranormal belief in society. That's just what the evidence seems to show. Um, sociologist Bader, Baker, and Mencken of the book Paranormal America. Um, it's a great book, Paranormal America. So read it if you're interested in this. But they, at the end, they like, you know, very cautiously as sociologists project what will happen and they project a growth of paranormal belief. And basically paranormal belief is like, um, it's, it's the form that spirituality is increasingly taking in society. So if you want to understand American religiosity and spirituality, you need to understand paranormal belief. Um, I I agree completely. I think you're, you're onto something. That's why I appreciate the work that you're doing and uh, everything that you're writing for religion dispatches and elsewhere. 
uh, as an independent scholar. Um, I try to come up with questions for guests that I think kind of covers uh, the basis of their work. But I know since it's not my work that I'm probably missing something. Is there something that you wish I would have asked uh, that you'd like to share? Um, I don't know. I think you did a pretty good job. I, I can't think of anything I, I've been dying to say right now. <laughs> um, Do you have any future projects? What do you, anything ongoing? Yeah, I, I've been having a little bit of trouble deciding what to do. So I'm working on getting a book on, on my dissertation out. I don't have a publisher or anything yet. And I'm adding a little bit to the book manuscript. So there's that. And then as for the next project, I'm thinking about sort of theorizing the demonic, uh, you know, how ghost hunters view the demonic, because I know we need, we need more, we need more work on the, on the modern demonic, I would say, you know, we have a lot of, uh, as my friend Joe Laycock uh, was talking to me about how we have a lot of work on early modern witchcraft and demonology, but not as much, you know, on modern demonology. So it'd be interesting to try to fill some of that gap. Yeah, that would, that would be huge. And there's plenty of research material sources that you could interact out there with you. I mean, just tons of it. So yeah, especially in connection with that contemporary satanic panic phenomenon that goes on and how, contemporary demonology tends to serve hover in the background for that. So that would be fascinating. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you again for coming on the program. Uh, hopefully folks will find uh, what you're doing of interest again in the program notes. I'll include your bio and links to what you're doing so the folks can, uh, can seek it out. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks again for coming. <laughs>